This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Bogue. Hey, Joris. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. How you doing? Who do we have on the 3D Pod today? Well, today we've got Clement Moreau, and Clement uh, has been, uh, well, he's the founder of uh, Sculpteo, which uh, is a French startup that grew out to be one of the largest uh, 3D printing uh, startups uh, or 3D printing services in the world. And uh, he led that company for 10 years, and then it was acquired by BASF, and now he works for BASF. So we're going to talk to Clement about yeah, 3D printing services, making parts, growing his business, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, welcome to the 3D Pod, Clement. Hello. Thank you, Joris. Thank you, Max. Nice. Nice to talk to you today. So, Clement, just to start off a little bit, how how did you come up with the idea of the Sculptea? What, 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 what made you go, you know, and said, oh, I'm going to start a 3D printing service? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a very nice question. That's right. In, uh, in 2009, when we created this, um, this company, it was not very clear what uh, 3D printing was. And uh, actually, what, what uh, brings us to this, to this world of post-rapid prototyping, I was um, lead, lead tech for, um, for an electronic company called uh, Thomson at that time. And I was uh, responsible for a group of uh, innovative products. I was mainly doing software. And in, that, uh, in this group, we had also someone doing electronic PCB. And we had, of course, someone doing uh, some mechanical parts, some plastic parts, because what we were doing at that time was some sort of IoT device. And when I got a new spec, I was able to change the uh, software of my product in a couple of days or weeks. My colleague doing the electronic board was able to change it in a couple of weeks maybe one month. And then the guy responsible for the plastic part was able to change his mold in, okay, six months. Right. <laughs> Sometimes it was nine months. And that was really, yeah, you know, that was really a big problem because we had to be innovative. I had my 35 software engineer trying to be as fast as possible. But the guy who was always slowing the process was the guy responsible for the plastic part. And then we say, yeah, there is probably some big problem here. We bought a 3D printer at that time, a strategist one. And with, with this uh, very nice early, early age strategist, we were able to do some prototypes. And then we say, yeah, let's uh, try to use this kind of very nice machine and, and go to production with this machine. And that, was a, that was a real start of, um, of Sculpteo. And then we, um, then we went to a couple of um, customers and asking, what do you want? And, we we went directly to the consumer market, trying to make people actually design their stuff themselves and have them really build their own product, really being like able to to modify the environment and their and their house. Uh, yeah, it was in um, 2010, 2009, and after that we went more into um, enterprise startups. And this is where we are today. Today we are really in a, in manufacturing world. There's a couple of things that strike me. Like first off, in Sculpteo. A lot of it was French and it had a particular kind of French flair and it seemed like very focused on the French market. Was it the idea to focus on France first or, or did you envision this as only being a French startup or was that just a, a quirk? Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not a French-only startup. We, we, we still do a majority of the business out of France. However, yes, it's, it's right. It's easy 
it's always easier where you are and um, our major developments were, were in France. I remember at that time, uh, Joris, you were working for Shapeways in a, in a, in a very Eindhoven yeah. startup at that time. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, but, but from the Eindhoven startup, uh, Shapeways evolved very, very rapidly into, um, to an American one. And from America, you can mm-hmm. quite easily mm-hmm. spread the word. And, and, and that's, that's a step that we did not take. Um, we decided to stay in Europe and to um, get some capital from from French VC uh, and then from French family office and then of course we we developed into a, some French version of Shapeways. Let's say. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. Uh, yeah. you, you witnessed this whole kind of process from you know 2010 until recently. Who who was initially? The customer and how did that evolve before you sold the company? So what what we tried in 2009 was to um, to go directly to consumer, um, and also because we were fed up from the previous company, we were fed up of working with big corporates because our um, our previous uh, customer was the largest uh, operators in in Europe, telecom operators in Europe. Um, so we wanted to go directly to consumer and say, okay, let's uh, go for marketing, and try to sell directly. It was it was very nice. Um, however, it's it's very difficult, and it's right. very difficult because people just do not know what to print. Right. They, just, they just don't know. Um, they would like to print some gadgets, some toys, or things like that. But three D printing is quite expensive. Three uh, D printing is also a little bit disappointing sometimes um, mm-hmm. with regards to quality or to accuracy or things like that. And that was, uh, at least in 2010 and 2011, it was quite um, disappointing. And then, of course, um, it was a big problem for, for consumer. Uh, but now, but starting in 2012, uh, we had really more uh, startups in, uh, in, our, in our portfolio. And um, the, the type of customers that we have is constantly growing. Uh, not only the business is growing, uh, but also the size of the company of the customer is growing. So now we have, um, of course, every every big company in Europe, every big company in uh, in the US use 3D printing. They are not all our, our customer in Europe. Um, a lot of them are our customer, um, but. Um, they all have in-house capacity, and they all use outsource uh, capacity for some uh, for some reason. So that's something that really changed also over the past. The early customer was one that had no in-house capacity, and now our best customer has a one that have in-house capacity. A lot of people don't realize that. They think you just switch to in-house. Right, you completely everything. You just leave the whole service world behind. I think it's a good point to make that you're never going to have every machine. You're never going to have every finish, and you want a degree of redu- redundancy as well. Uh, I think it's a good point to make to be like somebody's backup uh, or to be the one that does black or something, even if they have uh, uh, centered parts. Um, what I thought was interesting is that you you noticed that you went for French investors and French capital. Do you think that? allowed you to develop a very different business if you would have gone with like a traditional American VC? Does that give you more time? Does that give you more kind of uh, something to build a stable business, let's say? French VC are, are quite different in, uh, in terms of valuation. So they, they value the company quite lower to, uh, to American uh, VC. However, the view is um, a little bit uh, longer term. Uh, I always had a very good relationship with my, with my investors. I was in charge of uh, the planning of 
of spending. I was never forced to to spend, and um, I know a couple of friends running um, company in the U.S. They are not like not forced to spend, but they are really pushed um, to, to spend encouraged. more. And and yeah, heavily encouraged, as you say. <laughs> yeah, let's say pushed. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, you know what? You know, you do a lot of mistakes when when people say, "Yeah, spend, 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 spend." Yeah. And that's um, that's something that I was never forced to do. And that I think it was it was a good um, a very good thing. And the second round we made was um, not with. Um, traditional VC, but it was the, la- the largest and the, um, the richest family in France, the people behind um, Auchan, Decathlon, Leroy Merlin, all those um, brand of, um, of retail in, a, in, a, in our country. And um, it's, a very, it's a very rich company, a very rich family. There are more than 1,000 uh, people and 100 billion. So that, mm-hmm. that's a very, very nice uh, structure. And of course, they have their own uh, internal VC fund. And what they want to do with this is they want to participate into um, European leader of new technologies. And that was really fun because um, just say, okay, uh, yeah, so you're not number one, you're not, uh, you're not bigger than, uh, than American uh, colleagues, that's fine, as long as you're, you're number one in Europe. And that was really, uh, that was the idea that they, that they have. And uh, we 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 developed some um, work with uh, the retail store. We we did some three uh, D printing in retail. Uh, mm-hmm. We did a couple of uh, initiative of um, customized um, jewelry or things like that with retail. Yeah, it was it was a very a very nice story. Also, I think it's really interesting because not a lot of people you know, think of a family office as like an investor or somebody to work with. And so family offices are basically ways that a family can in a multi-generational way assure that its capital is kept uh, without, you know, inheritance tax and stuff like that. And it's like, basically it's a bunch of guys in Switzerland usually uh, <laughs> who manage your family's fortune on your behalf, let's say. And you have a say in it. So uh, was it, was it, you know, was it, uh, what, how, what, it, what was it like getting capital from a family office? Was it very different? They, they, are, they are quite structured. They have a team of, um, 10, maybe 10, 15 people uh, doing um, investment in, in technology. And uh, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice fun. So difference, the real difference between VC and, um, and the family is that um, the family office value something that is different from, from the VC or so that's just family link. Mm. Uh, and for example, we had to, we had to organize visits the children of uh, of our shareholders <laughs> that and that's something that you never do right <laughs> and after that i think yeah it's it's a very good um it's a very good thing because um, the more people know about us and the more our shareholders and the children of our shareholders know about us the more they will be encouraged to continue the story and to and to push more um, more, more capital into the company, and that's um, at some point it proved to be important because, um, of course, we, we sometimes you need a little bit more money on your bank account, and uh, they were always here with us, and they always support us, and that's, that was really a. In the end, it was a very nice relationship. Did you reach profitability? We reached break even. Yes. Okay. Hey. Cool. Profit that's better than some. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was, I, I, I don't like to spend, and I, I was really, um, I wanted to reach break even. 
and you know after 10 years spending money of some of some other yeah. people you you just want to to do something with it and um so the last the last um year before before we sold we were we were really almost breaking it was zero point something um, percent of loss and that was um for me it was really important because um that was a that was a sign that we were doing some something real right yeah, yeah totally, totally, totally. I mean, you can. Uh, otherwise, it's just a big spending of other people's money party, like you said. And then, yeah, you had a couple of options. Then, I mean, I think, I think, what made you say like, oh, the BASF sale is the, is, the, is the option for us to go to go with for the, the long term future? Yeah, we we had um, in reality we had uh, two big roads. Uh, one was uh, more financial investors, and the other road was um, industrial exit. And uh, you remember, it was 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2019, it was uh, already already clear um, that 3D printing was really going to be um, an industrial technology, and we need to grow the factory. We need to grow our quality procedure. We need basically we need to become an industrial. When I took a look at this, my partners. Said, yeah, yeah, let's um, create a new industrial domain. Yes, okay, uh, but with just money, it will take time, take, take a lot of time. Uh, and we know that um, GE, for example, was investing like crazy, yeah. like billions, billions of dollar of dollar per year. HP was investing like crazy, and I didn't want to raise more money and throw this money to the problem and try to solve everything by myself, try to grow the team like 1,000 people. And that, that, was, not, um, that was not our view. Um, I thought at that time that um, getting help from an industrial um, company was really more important than getting money from a, from a financial company. And then we took a look at the different options. And I must say, I was really happy with the PSS story. The company has a, has a real 3D printing strategy. That that's really interesting. Um, the budget has been uh, decided for a couple of years. Uh, we know the plan. We know what we want to do. We know where we want to go. We know um, the next customer. Uh, and in in the end, BSF has a long story of uh, vertical integration. BSF is basically about vertical integration. Could be the vertical integration chemical, but that's really. Uh, the DNA of VSF is, is vertical integration. You start with, with oil and you finish with plastic powder. And that, that was really um, normal for them to integrate one step more and to have the service bureau, the printing company, and to integrate and to sell uh, parts. And that was very important for me that uh, we join a company where uh, the culture will fit. And I believe that um, the culture of VSF uh, 3D printing because we are we are a subsidiary of BSF, we are not part of the big BSF group. Well, we are part of the big BSF, but we are not integrated into this big group. We are some sort of um, smaller. Um, I, I don't like the, the name internal startup, but that's a little what we are. We are a, an independent company inside BSF. So the company is called BSF 3D Printing Service, uh, Printing uh, Solutions. Sorry. And that's uh, that's what we are. And the culture of this company is really what I wanted to uh, to join. It's a culture of uh, doing things. It's a culture of uh, taking uh, the hard technical challenge, and that that's really uh, really nice. When I was working for for Bradus Corporate, 
when we had um, a difficult technical challenge, we tried to find a subcontractor that can do it. That, that was really the story. Like, okay, what is difficult to do? Um, why, why don't we find a Chinese guy that can do it for us or an American guy that can do it for us? And we will just subcontract. Um, in BSF, it's completely the opposite. When someone finds a, a hard technical challenge, they say, okay, this is a very difficult challenge. It's a challenge for us because we are the biggest chemical company in the world. So if we don't solve it, nobody will solve it. So let's solve it. <laughs> and that, uh, and that, it, it, it sounds arrogant, of course, uh, but it's also true. I mean, we are right. the biggest uh, chemical company and um, the money is, money is never a problem. I mean, we, are, we, we, take, we take care of money and, uh, and we take a lot of extra care money. But um, if something is, um, is good and if something needs to be done, then we have the finance to do it. Uh, and that, that's a very, uh, very nice position in the world. Over the years, I mean, do you have any idea why you were successful? Why, why do you think Sculptea was so successful at the time? Uh, successful and also not so successful because we, we also see uh, the empty glass. And, uh, yeah. But yeah, we are... Uh, yeah. yeah. the, the, <laughs> the printed empty glass, of course. <laughs> well, I think, um, I think the, the real thing is um, to try to focus on, a, on the market and, uh, and try to deliver a solution to, um, to one problem. And the problem we were trying to solve was really a small series manufacturing, the gap between prototyping and manufacturing. And this, this is a problem that we, we are able to solve today. And we, I think in this uh, very specific problem, we are a very, a very, good, uh, very good team and very good, um, very good company. We are now organized as a real industrial company. We have ISO 9001. We have um, a lot of procedures. It, it's, a, it's a serious uh, manufacturing partner today. So, uh, this is very important for us. How many, how many people are involved in it at this point? So it's, um, it's a little bit less than 70 people now. Okay. And, and just the one thing, I mean, generally as a 3D printing service, is broadly speaking three basic avenues you can take. You can either do like the software heavy startup that has very little manufacturing knowledge, but has a really nice software platform, right? Then you can do uh, the kind of like uh, do some production startup where you do some production in-house to understand the process a little bit better and understand the procedures and QA and stuff. Outsource all the, the production or generally you can do everything yourself. What did you guys opt for? We do a little bit of everything because uh, so we, we do our software. Um, our software is really uh, the GNN as a company. Um, the Scopter.com software, and uh, after that, um, we were a software, software vendor um, with a program called FabPilot. And we do, we do our production ourselves. So we have, um, we have our workshop. Um, today, one workshop in Villejuif, in, uh, so just near Paris. We had in the past um, workshop in, uh, in the US. That, that part was not successful. So we uh, with closed it. Uh, the factory in California is not very easy to, to be profitable. <laughs> <laughs> and when you want to get profitable and, and just break even, uh, then yes, we, we had to, uh, to close this factory to save, to save more costs. Um, and also we do a little bit of uh, contracting and to a network of partners, of course, because you can't have all those materials uh, and all those technology. And some of them are very, very niche and uh, it's better to rely on external partners. 
So that, that's um, how we operate. But uh, the main, um, from, from day one, what was very important for us was to work on software and work on being sure that we deliver a nice um, user experience to our customer. And do you think, well, what's a, so where are you going to focus on? I mean, I think, I think the obvious one, you've had a kind of Europe first kind of strategy up until now. Is that going to be more of that, where, where you're using the heft of BSF to engage, like, let's say, the large car companies and these kind of customers? Or would you, like, you know, open more offices, go to China, open offices there, that kind of internationalization strategy? What are you guys looking at? I'm not sure we would bring this crypto brand to China. Um, mm -hmm. However, we are helping uh, the Chinese part of BSF 3D to do some, some 3D printing sales. So uh, that, that's how our um, strategy, our Chinese strategy will, uh, will work. Um, that will be Scopteo, but it will be under BSF brand. Um, but in Europe, yes, we try to, uh, to work with more, more of the BSF uh, classic uh, customer, uh, the, big, the big car company, uh, the big plastic company. Almost every, every company using plastic is more or less a customer of BSF. Who do you see your largest customer becoming or increasing? Uh, since you joined up with BSF, SF. Uh, so we we're not like one um, industry, or do you yeah. think all of them? <laughs> so, electronics uh, casing is still very important for us. So we do we do a lot of um, small volume manufacturing for uh, some some electronic PCB and. Uh, uh, could it could be consumer electronic, could be professional or defense electronics. So we do a lot of this. Uh, we also do a lot of uh, mechanical part for fashion, mm -hmm. so for um, accessories, um, clothes, shoes, or this industry, fashion and luxury. Uh, for them, we do a lot of um, plastic mechanical part and then they use their special material to cover it to make a nice. That's yeah, I haven't actually heard a lot about the, that kind of like the covering of plastic parts for fashion. Uh, that's actually relatively new yeah. to me, at least. It's something that um, that's really important today to have um, to have a way to uh, to manufacture in a very short series, very rapidly, new fashion articles like um, handbags, um, shoes, uh, jackets, uh, things like that. And so those things, if you need a special shape. And it's very difficult to do it on your know, fabric or leather, but uh, then you use a plastic part inside and uh, and to do the shape basically, right. and then you cover and then you cover with um, fabric, for example, to have um, to have the nice the nice fittings that uh, people like. I could yeah, I could see also the turnover of that is quite quick since fashion industry has a, does a lot of uh, different uh, styles within a year alone. Uh, so. I love the idea yeah, of reducing. And in, in this industry, you cannot uh, afford to, to, to lose six months. Right. Yeah. yeah. I love the idea of 3D printing we use to reduce fashion risk, right? the, 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 the risk of having something and not having it sold it, or having to put it on sale, or having something and not having enough of it. So I love that idea of this on demand uh, kind of idea behind that as well. And also, I think also. It's a bit unromantic. It's a bit boring casings, but I'm glad to to, to hear that that's such a big business um, uh, because that's it's it's huge and nobody ever really talks about it. We talk about jigs and fixtures and stuff, but casings is like uh, it's 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 just a huge business, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a very it's a huge business. It's absolutely a huge business. Um, mm -hmm. However, you're right. It's a 
definitely not romantic. And if right. you're trying to to raise money, you don't show you don't show a factory <laughs> of casing. It's yeah. a box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. This is the coolest box ever. <laughs> <laughs> We know also, uh, you were talking about uh, Jackson Fixture, but um, tooling and, uh, and molds are also very important today. Yeah. We do a lot of tooling, we do um, specialized tooling for, for factories, uh, mm-hmm. for factories with a lot of, uh, of change. So um, if they want to, uh, to reconfigure their factories, even, even big brands need, needs a lot of flexibility in their factory today. And um, they're really want to reconfigure the factory in a couple of um, days and change to the next to the next type of, um, of object. I'm thinking, for example, about cosmetics. Uh, if you do, if you run a cosmetics factory, then you will see a variety of uh, different type of bottles for your for your things, um, or holders for perfume, for example. And those things you really need to change every week, for example. And that, that's something um, amazing to say, that um, now a factory is able to reconfigure in a couple of days, on one day, and, um, and the next week you will change and you will change again. And because of that, you need a lot of different, different tools and grippers and accessories for your factory, and all those things you can 3D print them. And that, that's very important for, for 4.0 industry. And are you, when you talk about tooling, are you like, um... You're printing injection tooling essentially for plastic injection. Is that the kind of tooling you're talking about, or no? It's more accessories. It's more um, tools that um, that takes the product out of the mold, for example, ah, robotic, ah, robot, robotic arms, um, things like that. It's the mold itself is uh, is today still in a metal or steel. And do you see that accelerating across multiple industries? I mean, I think the world is very flat right now. I mean, you can buy things from all over the place. We're truly globalized in a certain sense. Do you think that that kind of accelerating trend of retooling factory stuff is going to accelerate in, in more industries? Yeah, I think I think the the thing that is important is that uh, no industry can work um, without flexibility today. Uh, even even the car industry uh, is going to be flexible. Even um, and even the German brand are, are really flexible, and they change um, they change their car model uh, very rapidly. And they have um, basically each car is unique because you always have um, one very specific option in the, in the car, and that's very important. Uh, and I remember in um, in French um, car industry, it was really um, a trend to be able to have completely unique car based based on the set of options. If you multiply all the number of options by the options themselves, you you see that uh, it's it basically each car is unique, or each can each car can be unique. So, so you really have to take this into account when you are when you create the factory. And that's what they do uh, now with um, rapid tooling. And one thing I think I think uh, would be very exciting, I think, is like BSF itself makes well metal processes are quite expensive. I mean, if you look at DMLS or powder bed fusion stuff. But BSF itself, of course, makes uh, Ultrafuse, right? Which is like a filament that a print, you can, it's a bound metal processor. You print it on an FDM printer and then you center it, right? Which is, of course, very difficult to do, uh, to do that accurately because it's at a very wall thickness at every shape uh, uh, and every size. Uh, maybe the shrinkage is different. Yeah, shrinkages. Yeah. 
But um, you know, ultimately, that could be a really inexpensive way of, uh, of of getting metal printed shapes. Are you guys working on stuff like that? Yeah, it's actually it's quite successful. It's um, yeah. it's a it's a very nice uh, very nice product. Uh, of course, it's uh, difficult to have it um, on spec uh, for the first try. Uh, I'm I'm meaning uh, dimensional and uh, and warping accuracy is is of course a challenge. Uh, for the first sample, but then we can adapt uh, the geometry a little bit and change it so that the parts uh, really becomes flat and um, and on dimensional accuracy. But the very the very good thing of this process is that you can print it on almost any good FDM printer, which means uh, a printer of uh, two thousand euro or three thousand euro is enough to print to print this metal. Out. And then you have to center it. So centering is um, is more complex and more expensive. So what we are doing now with BSF is that we offer so either you can buy uh, the, the metal part from from Scripteo directly, or you can print it at home and, and send it and send it to BSF and us uh, for centering. So we can uh, we can do that. Huh. And that's um, that. Yeah. That, I think that's a very good um, way to go uh, for for metal uh, metallic mechanical parts. So it it will never go for aerospace or airplanes right. or things like that. Uh, we don't we don't meet some quality criteria that they have. But it's uh, it's better than a lot of things that you see in metal. Even the density of part is really better than what you have in a in traditional metal for automotive, for example. What kind of volume are you having with people printing the part and sending it to you guys to process? I'm, I'm curious. Uh, it's it's still um, early stage, so the volume uh, is still, still quite low. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, generally, I think if looking at the landscape, I mean, there's one thing. There's an option for like a low cost service bureau, right? So the older generation service bureaus have these AOS equipment, AOS equipment, million dollar printer, right? Uh, uh, 1.1 million, and 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 it's a really good machine. But but it's very ha heavy on the capital investment side. Now you could buy like a Meltio machine or maybe like a one-click metal machine, or LMI or something. And you're looking at like a ticket of like 100, 150k. What you could also be doing is buying like yeah a bunch of like Ultimakers or Prusas even, and then and then uh, print with Ultrafuse. Do you really see that the, the you know, I've been talking about this for years? This whole idea of that arrays of desktop printers can be used to print parts. Do you see that as something that you guys should look to, that, or that also could be some competitive pressure for this this uh, service bureau market? Yeah. So, uh, but but again, the service bureau market is not the competition of in-house printing. So I I believe that uh, people will in-house they will use uh, a couple of Ultimaker and print and send to BSF and have it center. And that that this is how in-house metal printing will work. In a couple of um, of years, of course, there is there are other options like this method and not for nice options also. Uh, but our ultrafuse uh, system is really is really nice. Um, and the second option is to rely on a service bureau. And, and clearly, if you want a cheap part, and the service bureau will have to rely on something like ultrafuse mm -hmm. because the DMLS is is really nice, but it's for aerospace. And out of aerospace, <laughs> it's Usually too expensive. And are there other new technologies or materials you're really particularly excited about? Yeah, we like um, we like the new polymers that we have for, for sintered parts. So 
quite a bit, uh, quite a bit fusion part. Mm -hmm. We like um, our new polypropylene that is um, available both in um, SLS and NGF. Mm -hmm. um, and I really like um, the TPU, uh, the flexible part. I was, I was always very frustrated by, um, by the lack of a good flexible material um, in mm -hmm. this industry. And the fact that now we have this option is, um, is really good for me. We can, um, we can do a lot of uh, different things. I was mentioning the grippers. Um, we in fashion, it's very important, of course. In the shoe industry, it's very important. All, all the stuff we can do because we have this um, this flexible GPU. That's um, that for me. That's very exciting. Oh, I remember the first time I printed out like an Albiat flexible part, <laughs> and I was like, I was like playing with it, and I just ripped it and stuff, and I was like, oh, this isn't gonna work. <laughs> I was, yeah, so I can imagine like TPU is a really accepted material as a bulk material. Do you really? I think we're going to get closer to like more end use customer stuff like shoe soles and that kind of thing. Is that something that's going to be happening? Yeah, it will, it will start with, um, with value added uh, products like um, orthopedic shoe soles. Mm -hmm. um, and at some point it will transition to, uh, to regular shoes. But mm -hmm. to, to, today the solution is ready for, for orthopedics, for example. And that, that's very important. And if you take a look at, um, at the landscape of 3D printing, uh, probably the biggest 3d printing company is not a 3d printing company it's a dental aligner right, yeah. right. Yeah. and nobody really so, is really uh, realizing this uh, mm -hmm. but th they are the biggest uh, 3d printing companies it's not strata this um, or or 3d system or, or, <laughs> year, or, or years and maybe not even hp i mean um, in Invisalign and uh, and those um, sisters' company are, are really really amazing and they are huge and this is the kind of things that drive uh, to today's 3D printing adoption and that and that's where we want to go with um, TPU for example for shoe soles uh, we want to to help people that really tackle the challenge of of using this kind of material in uh, in individual products. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a very exciting thing. Where do you hope to be, like with with Sculpteo, in like a, like five years time? What are, you, what are your goals for the business? So we we're doing two things. We are growing the the service bureau things, the independent uh, manufacturing site for people. So we we're growing. We are buying machine. We will um, probably we will open more uh, factories at some point. Uh, and the second thing that we are doing is we are really integrating with BSF, and we are using our, our knowledge of, uh, of production and manufacturing to really provide an end-to-end -end solution to BSF customer and say, okay, let's, let's imagine you need something, you need a product, you have more than an option, you can buy oil and uh, do the product by yourself, you can buy pellets and do the product by yourself, you can buy a 3D printed powder and do the product by yourself, or you can even buy the parts directly from the and that's, and we really, as a BSF company, we really want to integrate sufficiently that the sales guy will be able to provide the different levels of value chain. And that, and for me, I was I was the CEO of a startup for eleven years, uh, so that's very exciting to have this new challenge to uh, to be participating into a, into a bigger uh, a bigger story with, with bigger customers. And that, so, I mean, around a third of part cost is kind of the manual labor and stuff. So you must, if you want to do it, take this to customers and like millions of parts and stuff, you must be looking at automation. How important is that for you guys? Yeah, automation is, um, is clearly a need. If you take a look at uh, our factories, uh, 3D printing factory, it's, 
it's a mess. It's a, it's a lot of um, manual work and a lot of people moving parts around. And that's, that's very, that's really something that we are working on. Um, we are working on um, automation of um, post post production, so uh, cleaning, some dusting, dyeing. All those things needs to be automated. Uh, we are working on uh, automated sorting of parts because out of um, out of an SLS batch, you can have uh, five hundred different orders inside. So you need to find a way to to sort it in a, in a very efficient way. So we're working on it also. We are, we have been doing a lot of automation in, uh, in pre-production, so before printing. But um, I think we are more or less done on this. Um, your parts, uh, if you order them from Scripteo Online, they will go into a printer with almost no uh, human interference, if there is no problem. And um, and, I, I, and at the end, we will work on um, on automated um, logistics uh, like box and, uh, and things like, like like a little bit like Amazon, uh, smaller scale. But um, all those things takes takes time, of course. But I believe in um, um, for for four to five years, we should be able to have um, a nice automated factory with with the same type of same uh, number of people doing. A lot more of uh, revenue. This is absolutely wonderful. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rosie World. Yeah, Rosie World. Uh, so, Clint, thank you so much for, for being on the 3D Pod. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, Max, thank you for being there as well today. Always. Yeah, it's fascinating. And uh, thank you guys for listening. My name is Joris Peels. This is the 3D Pod. Thank you. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint.com.